Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But today we continue and we're finishing the series Behold and Be Bold. And it started out as a vision for the year and then we realized we needed to unpack and understand what it means to live this life that that starts with beholding and that never stops, but hopefully it lands in a life of boldness. Boldness is not something that is exclusive to some elite club. It's not some grace gift given to people who naturally have it. They came out the womb. I'm here. Yes, I'm the answer. A little bit like Gabe's child, or Gabe thinks his child came out. And um, it's, it's not like that. I've met rich people with millions and millions in the bank who completely have no courage, no boldness, and are so fearful that maybe someone will get to that little amount in their bank. It's constant checking that it's still in the bank account. I've met people with muscles the size of Edwin's, and there are some with even bigger, where, where they are wrapped up in fear and anxiety and lacking courage and boldness. I've met people with most beautiful families, and you think it's got to be all good, and yet when you get just below the surface, you don't even have to go deep. One or two questions in, and you realize there is a lack of courage, a lack of boldness, and the next step is the most fearful thing in the world. So where do you start with that person? I can't give them seven points to boldness. Three points to courage. One point to the next step. The world wants to give them strategies and men's health will give them five steps to doing this and Cosmo will give them seven steps to doing this. There's always more steps for the ladies. And, um, but there's, a, there's these steps and I'm telling you, it doesn't start with anything. It starts with this. My king. He's amazing. And everything else falls away. All the giants, all the challenges, all my insecurities, they crumble in the light of who he is. Who he is, not what he can do, not what we should know. We don't, the church's role is not to bring people into a set of morals or, or, or circumstances or situations or living some certain life. That all flows from a desire to please the one that they are captivated by, the one who is seated on his throne. There is no substitute, there's no watered down option. There's no DSTV package, I'll take the premium with a little bit of extra and this. It's not about that. It's just Jesus. The full story of Jesus. John Owen wrote, wrote this. I'm quoting a lot of older guys today. It's good. From a book, The Glory of Christ, it is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith. You see, we can only behold by faith. It takes faith to behold. That we are spiritually edified and built up in this world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow stronger and stronger. It is by faith that we grow to love Christ. So if we desire strong faith and powerful love, which give us rest, peace, and satisfaction, we must seek them diligently beholding the glory of Christ by faith. In this duty, I desire to live and to die. On Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes. And I will be more and more crucified to this world. I'll become, it will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. Maybe you heard John Mark this last weekend. How cool is that guy? Amazing, amazing man. I've had time to spend with him 
that runs very deep. That's not just a, a preach that lands. So you go with it. It's a life that's lived with fruit and fruitfulness flowing. But I said, John Mark, how do you preach? I, when I've heard spiritual disciplines, I've left going, oh, I can't do that. That's for like one of those very disciplined Christians. Like the guys in the third row. Everyone knows folks in the first row are naughty. But it's the second and third row you've got to watch. Those guys are like disciplined. Look at them. They're like, they just pray when they're brushing their teeth. It's like, then they go to the room and there's just scriptures all over the wall. And it's like their last thoughts is quoting Psalm 63. Surely, I, I just can't do that. John, how do you get people who normally respond to talking and calling people to, well, have a disciplined life, but in such a gentle way? And the only way is because what captures the gaze, what captures our gaze and our vision is Jesus. If it's not that, it will land like more pressure, more work. And you know what it will end up like? White-knuckled Christians just holding on like we are on the edge of a cliff about to fall. It only lands when we fix our sighs next to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Him, captivated by Him. So the question is, what is the focus of our beholding? That's a question we've had to ask because I think everyone is beholding someone or something. And on Sunday we come and we behold Jesus, but on Monday we behold our bank accounts, we behold our careers, we behold our children, and we wonder why our beholding journey is not towards Jesus. Because we aren't, you can't split. Well, there's 20% of my soul and 20% of my soul. And wherever you stand on the body, mind, spirit, soul thing, I don't know that anyone says, well, I can, I'm like a hard drive. You can separate me. And 20% for this and 80%. We're not that. We are one. I am one and I'm made one in him. And my soul is every part of me. My spirit, my body is every part of me. And he calls us to this journey of beholding Jesus. And um, I've mentioned it, but John the Baptist, there was this moment Jesus comes in and, and John the Baptist is there and, and he's, he's baptizing, baptizing, because that's what, if you call John the Baptist, you pretty much have to baptize. It's kind of like, you just, it's what you do. And he's giving it. I mean, he's getting some right in there and some he's giving them gentle and sometimes he's got to push the head down. He's like, he's in there. He's the man. The camera's on him. The focus is on him. He's the man. He's calling people to repentance. He's the guy. And he, he senses something's different. And in the midst of all this attention that he is getting, all this acclaim, potentially fame, if it was social media, he would have been all over it. There just wasn't Twitter in those days. Can you believe it? But if, if there was social media, he would have been all over the social media. Look at this guy. We've heard nothing for 400 years. And then, boom, wild guy with dreads and whatever, baptizing people. And then something changes. And it's the same sensation he had before. He can't remember where. See, because if you revert all the way back to Luke chapter 1, John's mother, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, and Mary walks in, and, and the news is amazing. It's, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant. And Elizabeth, in her naturalness, is going, how did that happen? Talk me through that. But John, in the womb, it says he leapt in the womb. Jesus was probably, I don't know, you know those 3D gram photos? It's like a centimeter and a half. Little Jesus. 
I'm not being disrespectful. Jesus came as a, as a human in the way that we come. He, we grew in a womb for nine months. Jesus, in his, in, his, in his little state, even then, John knew what it was to behold. He leapt in the womb. Now, years later, 30 years later, the same leaping happens. Why? Because he is captivated by Jesus. And he calls him. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, all my fame and all the acclaim and all the moments people are giving to me, I now give to him because actually he captivates my heart. That's the gospel. And, and if we water it down to, well, if I just give Jesus Sunday, and if I just give Jesus this, and impale his right, it is an all-in gospel. And sometimes, as preachers, in our humanness, you try water it down, you try make it accessible, you try make the gates, surely the gates a little wider, but the gate is narrow, that's what the Bible says. But on the other side of a narrow gate is a very big arms of a loving Father. And we start this journey, but it's a journey to what? It's a journey to boldness. A journey to boldness, where men and women find out who they are in God, and what flows out of that is a boldness that comes to live a gospel-focused, a gospel-empowered life, where men and women make decisions that look different to the world, but there's a fruitfulness because it's not pegged in the fears of the world, it's pegged in the wonderful Caught up, captivated reality that Jesus is king. Anyway, I want to call us to a story. And if you don't know it, it's the story of, the, there's the Exodus. Have you heard of the Exodus? And, and God's taking his people. It's 40 years in a desert. They could have done in a couple of days. But God had a journey with them. And, and their leader was Moses. Gets to the end and, 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 and a couple of things unfold. He sends some spies into the land. But then there's this moment and, and Moses passes away. And there's a whole story there we won't get to now. But this young man, Joshua, who was always, he was just there. He was like hanging around. Just there. And he becomes the guy that's the young leader. And everyone goes, yeah, it's Joshua. God brings that man into a story. And his first assignment, his first kind of, you, we're just going to give you a soft landing, Joshua, into leadership. First assignment, take these people who've walked around a desert for 40 years over a flooding river. The Jordan River's in flood. That only happened like two weeks of the year, and God chooses that time to take them across. It's like, surely God, if we just hang here, no, Joshua, now take the people across. Also remember, 40 years in a desert, probably not a lot of swimmers around just thought about that this morning. It's like awkward. Okay, who's the designated lifesaver? It's a reality. We're so practical, we think, well, we can't cross a river. We're the lifesavers. Kids don't go in the pool. And God calls them. He says, you're going to cross you and all these people. And God speaks to him. He speaks some words to him. But I want to tell you how God and, and the genius of God is, is that he didn't just start, well, boy, I need a leader. Here's Joshua. This is what it says in Exodus 33. God is dealing with Moses. And Moses is crying. I said, God, I want more of your glory. It's that amazing scripture where God reveals his character, character to Moses. And it says in Exodus 33, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Just before this, we see pictures of, of clouds coming down on the tent. And the people would go, oh, God is speaking to Moses because before Jesus, God would speak to individuals who would translate that to the people. Thank you, Lord. We don't have that anymore. God speaks to his sons and daughters. 
But in this time, God would speak to Moses, the leader, God's chosen man in that story. And, and it carries on. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to his camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You know why God could use Joshua? You know why God could use you? Because when everyone else gets on with stuff, and we've got to go do the tent pegs again, and we've got to go fix the house and clean out the thing, and we get on with everything. Joshua was the young guy, the young aide, not a leader, just a bag carrier. He stayed at the amazing tent where God's presence was. And he, didn't, he wasn't even inside, he was outside, but it's like, God is here. This series is about us being a people of God. We will go where you go. We will remain amazed by you. And what flows out of that is we become what we never were, which was bold and courageous. You want to do great things for Jesus in a kingdom, become a beholder. And I want to give you a few reasons why God could do this with Joshua. Just three simple reasons. Honestly, this morning's not complicated. I'm just full of faith. Is that all right? And uh, the first one is because, because God, because of who God is. You want to know the first reason you can be bold? Because of who He is. And I say that because Moses previously in, 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 in Numbers 13, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures. There's these amazing scriptures. They send in the men to go and spy out the land, to cross the river, to spy out the land. Send 12 in, and, and they come back with this report. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. It's a pretty poor situation. And two come back and say, the land of milk and honey, we can go. But 10 out of 2, 10 out of 12. Yeah, that would have got awkward. Um, they come back, two come back with a report saying, actually, we had a different perspective. You see, here's the thing. I don't think... The Nephilim, the giants, the Nephilim were descendants of, of Goliath. Those were some of the, 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 the not Goliath, the, that group that were walking the earth before the flood. So not all the giants got washed away with the flood. They were in the land, God saying, I want you to go take the promised land. There's promised land for each of us. In our lives, in our stories, God's call. He says there's a promised inheritance in him, not in us. But I want to take you on a journey to this. But our boldness comes from no other place. It doesn't come from our size. What would the report? Are we bigger than we can take them? That's most of us. That's not a faith journey. Can, can you give? Well, yeah, I've got the bank account. Actually, faith comes where God calls you to do something and you don't have the ability. That's where faith really kicks in. And that's why it's generally at low points that people find capacities and abilities to follow Jesus in that explode because actually our faith gets truly activated when it's not about our ability anymore. Everyone thinks Samson, and when you draw and you look for pictures, type in Samson on Google, Samson pictures. He's this big dude with muscles everywhere, like muscles on muscles on muscles. And I'm going, I don't think that was Samson. I think Samson looked more like an ordinary dude. 
Because it was never about Samson's muscles. It was about God's power through him when he availed himself to the living God and his power flowed through his veins. And in my head, Samson's a skinny dude. So no one expected him to push anything down. And I imagine him pushing and they're going, ha ha. (laughs) Because there's a God in heaven who reveals himself as the God of all power. And when our view is of God, then the giants around, we don't look like grasshoppers anymore. You see that perspective? When we see the giants, we become like grasshoppers. Know what I know in this room right now, and even in my own life, sometimes when I fix my eyes and I behold the giants, I become like a grasshopper. I mean, grasshoppers are pretty, I mean, I don't know what they do for the environment. I'm sure there's something. But they don't strike me as fearsome. The only time they get fearsome is when they come in millions, but you're not going to stand up against one grasshopper expecting come maybe Kung Fu Panda. That's the only place a grasshopper gets, sorry, little kids. Um, and, and it's the only time a grasshopper gets any power. But two guys came back. Two guys said, my God is powerful. And because their eyes were fixed on him, it didn't make the giant smaller. It made our perspective on who we are in God bigger. That's the first thing, and I didn't explain that very well, but I'm going to come back to that point. The second point is because of what God told them. The promise was to Joshua. God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. It's a massive promise because how was God with Moses? Intimacy, he showed him his face. He said his character, his heart, he revealed all those things. Supernatural protection all the time. Supernatural provision. Most of us, We don't struggle with God, the idea of God our Savior. We struggle with the idea that God is our provider. Because our world is an economic world where provision is a big thing. Signs, wonders, miracles, and people following. So he says, I'll be with you. And then God speaks a word to him. He says, be strong and courageous. One verse later, be strong and very courageous. What is God doing? God is speaking. God is telling him, I will be with you. And a lot of us are seeing the giants, but I want to tell you, God has already spoken to you. If we would just take the gospel spoken, what happens when God speaks? Oh, but God hasn't spoken to me and I haven't heard a word, really? There's a whole letter to you right here. There's a whole letter. God has spoken. Oh, I I don't know if I need to make that change in my life. Well, is it in here? Then God has spoken to you. And the Spirit of God will enlighten when we put our faith and we allow the double-edged sword, the two-edged sword that cuts marrow from bone into our lives, into our hearts to come over us. This is how the Word should be in our lives. Most of us, we think, oh, I stand on the Word and I'm not going to stand on my Bible just yet. I like it too much. My mate did that and nearly split the church in half, so I'm not going to try it. But, but, but we think we stand on the Word, and we do. But ultimately, the Word of God should come over our lives, become the grid, become the spotlight, become the highlighter of our lives, rather than something we use as a stepping stone to our next step. What should I do with my life? Well, let me open up the Word in the classic Christian. God led me to Isaiah 63. That's a good one. I mean, let's be honest, if you're going to go with one, that's a good one. I've obviously been there before. And, um, but God spoke to me. And I'm going, yes, but he speaks in every scripture. What has he said to you? What has God told you? 
You want to walk in a boldness story? Yes, you can spend beholding for your rest of your life, but he's spoken some actions. Make some decisions. And last thing I want to take from this is because of what God has done. And this is what I'm so excited about. I want to read from Joshua 3. So what's happening here is, is, is he's motivated the people. God has spoken. He's done a great leadership job in getting them on the journey. And then God does this amazing thing. So when people broke camp, it's the hardest thing to get people to do. Break camp. I'm in a desert, but I'd rather stay in the desert because I know what my circumstances are like here. I can manage my circumstances. I can beat down the tent pegs. I've been here for 40 years, but I'm not sure I want to go to the land of milk and honey. God's people ongoingly from Adam to, the, to Revelations. We've got to be able to break camp. It's the first step of courage to cross the Jordan in flood. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. So they had to start the journey. And they had to make that fateful step of... Oh. They had to put their foot in the water before anything happened. I think some of us like to play out, well, obviously God opened the door. And if you've used that statement with me, and I didn't respond because I don't like it. Because I don't see that in the Word. I see a God who speaks. I see a God who shows. I see a God who actually says, actually, something you've got to put your foot in the river before the river goes. I didn't see the river doing that before they did anything. They had to get on the move. The first time is break camp. Change something. It says, Their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. Let's just stop there. So God is who he is. God has told us what to do. God speaks. But actually there's this unbelievable reality of what he's done. If you have received the salvation of Jesus Christ, then you are like the Israelite people who God says, cross a river, and you say, I can't. And he says, I know. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to block up a flowing river that is in flood. Maybe right now your life feels like it's a flood. A flood of debt. A flood of shame. Does it start landing? Does it make sense? A flood of actually, I've never been good enough to be a leader. I've never been good enough to say anything to anyone, to influence anyone. That's a flood that the enemy shouts. There is a flood against the believers all the time. It's never stopped except for the moments where God breaks in. And at salvation, this is a picture of salvation to me. That the king of kings comes to earth and he stops a flood. And he doesn't just stop it. I think most of us in the movies play out that the people of God walk through the river, but there's these mountains of water over them. And most believers live life and it holds them from being bold because they think there's a flood of water and if I step out a wrong way, that water's going to come down on me. But my Bible tells me that the God of heaven got so involved that he pushed it all the way back to where? To Adam. I don't care what the word Adam means or what happened in the town. You know who Adam was to me? The beginning. That in our brokenness as males and humans and whatever you want to call us, people and in our brokenness, it all started there. And we, what does the Bible say? We, have the, we inherit the sinful nature of Adam. So God says, I'm so involved. I'm going to get so stuck in. I'm not just going to push and stop the river and dam it up here. Go quickly, quickly. 
get through. The God of heaven is calling a people of courage to know, to know, to know who he is, that he gets so stuck in. And I imagine God going, look at this, one kilometer, two kilometers. The commentators say that journey is probably 20 miles. 20 miles, 32 kilometers. He pushes the water back 32 kilometers. Why? Because I think if the water had been over his people, they never would have lived with the knowledge that our God is mighty and what he has done, he has done forever. And he pushes my sin all the way back to Adam. And people live like, but God knows what I did just before I saved. He doesn't care. He pushes it all the way back to Adam. And people live, but my disappointments, my divorce, my failures in business, the fact that I never stepped and God gave me gifts and I never did. God says, yes, I know all of that. That's why I am the God of the flood and I will push it back all the way to the beginning. So that when you start walking with me and you put your foot in the water, it's like you're starting at the beginning again. And the gospel pours into my life. And you know what happens? Courage happens. Courage to face the giants that are in the land. Because there are still giants in the land. And I need courage to fight those giants. What I love about this story is some of the, some of the tribes, two and a half of the tribes, they had already got their inheritance on this side. But God says, you're not just going to stay here. He calls them and says, he calls them, would you come and would you fight with us? And all the fighting men and all their resources come with and cross the Jordan too to fight for someone else's inheritance. That is the church. Honestly, marriage boot camp is not about marriages that are in trouble. Some of you need to be here so you can help others go through the river. Some of you, and this guy, Terran Williams, not to pump, I've known him for years. I have not known a preacher who can engage people who haven't received Jesus yet, like this guy. He's mastered an art form of a Babel to engage people. I would strongly encourage you to bring people who are on this side of the river and all they can see is a flood and they can see no way through. Last week I got an SMS. Hello. You don't know me. I live near you. The lady, there's a lady who works in our home as a domestic worker. She goes to your church. I've never really spoken to her before, but she found out we're getting a divorce. And I spoke to her for the first time this morning. And she says, you can help. Because you know why? Because he's this side on the river, and there's a flooding river. And there's an enemy that's saying, you deserve that flooding river. But I worship a God, and I can praise that name, Jesus, who takes the river, not just back enough, just get through. Just, just, just go quickly. I'm, I'm just able to hold it. I'm going down. Quickly go. That's not God. God is the God who gets stuck in, and he pushes the river back 20 miles and says, my people... There is no limit to my commitment to you. There is no limit to what I will do for you. If you would just see that I'm the God who pushes back the flooding river. I will take your brokenness. I will take your bruised realities. I will take your failures. I will take your shame. I will take your guilt. And I will push it back to Adam. To the beginning. Now rise. Don't stay as you are. Now rise, son of God. Don't stay as you are. Now rise, mighty warrior. Don't stay, Joshua, the aide who just sat outside. Rise up. Become a leader. Other leaders, rise up. 
this series is not about motivating the church to become more. It's not about motivating people who, who are sitting on chairs going, I, I want to do something, but they don't know. This series is about seeing the God who takes the flooding river from where it is right now, and it's real, and he says, I'm so involved. And he pushes it all the way back to Adam. You think you've got sins that no one could hear about? I've heard the most dastardly things in my life, things I wish I could undo hearing. I've heard wives confess planning their husband's murder. They're still married. Sat in the room of prostitutes where their husband allowed the wife to prostitute so they could sustain their lifestyle. Eight years later, they're still married. They had another kid and they've immigrated. Why? Because we worship the God who takes the flooding river all the way back to Adam and says, I don't care what you've done. Let me tell you about the blood of Jesus, my son, who paid for your freedom. Now rise. Now rise. Get off your small horses and stand up and rise up because you are a son of the king. Oh God, but I'm older in years. No, 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 no. Let me show you about people older in years having sons for the nations. He says the promise to Jesus is a promise that, that you would inherit the nations of the world would be your inheritance. Do you believe that that promise still comes to us because we are heirs too? Because that's what I believe. Maybe I'm crazy enough to believe it. Maybe the picture of the flooding river is so real to me. Because to be honest, I've had floods. And I've watched God pull back the river so many times. I cannot deny it anymore. Someone asked me this week, said, would you die for the gospel? It's easy to answer sitting in suburbia. Three weeks ago, I was in the Middle East with people who are at risk. And I was sitting there and we went out into the desert and I had a moment to just walk and just to think. I said, God, what if I had to walk around for 40 years in a desert? Honestly, I love my children, I love my wife, I want many years together, but the gospel is worth dying for. It's worth dying for that one might get saved. There's a whole other part to the preach, but I'm going to stop there. I, I, think, I think this is the moment. Can you close your eyes just for a second? There's always a flood in a believer's life. God is saying, be bold. The enemy is saying, see the flood. It's the failures of our past that cause us to doubt our future. Are you doubting your future, sir or man? I promise you that's not because of the insufficiency or the lack of resource in your Father in heaven. It's because you're seeing your past as a flood. Hidden secrets. Marriages that are teetering on the edge and have been teetering on the edge for years and years because you're so scared that if that flood got dammed up, it would get exposed. And I'm telling you to throw yourself into the grace of God. The enemy is a flood master. The flood master. But why can you be bold? 
Is it because of your goodness, your ability, your power? I would say no. It's because of who God is. There is gospel power. Because of what God has told you through His Word and His revealed Holy Spirit, we get to share the gospel. And because of what God has done and the gospel truth of what happened on the cross, that Easter is not just a moment in a calendar because man decided man should have a moment in a calendar. Easter is a reality because there was a king who pushed back the flooding river all the way back to Adam. Will you receive that now? Just... I know in this room, because of conversations, I'm not even prophesying, conversations, there are mothers living with such guilt and it is flooding, flooding your life. And you are drowning. I want to tell you it's not because you don't know how to swim. I want to tell you it's because you weren't designed to swim against a flood. Have you ever been in a flooding river? I've, I've spent years of my life paddling flooding rivers. You cannot swim against it. It's always stronger than you. But when the hand of the Savior grabs you, you are safe. 